0: Hi everyone, it's Charlie Webster here. I hope you're all okay at the moment. We're back with a new episode of My Sporting Mind, where I speak to sports stars about their mental health and well-being. I'm very, very happy to welcome the very wonderful Crystal Palace footballer, Amber Keegan-Stobbs, to the podcast. You deserve a clap. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure. It's really great to be talking to you. So, first question, how,
1: how have you been managing over the last couple of months and are you missing football? Uh, yes, I am missing football, missing it incredibly. I've been managing quite well, though. I've been using the time to focus on things that I think sometimes get pushed to the background when you're so busy in your everyday life. So uh, I think it was a definitely a catalyst in kind of me sharing my story and doing things like this. You mentioned there about sharing
0: your story. Just to give everyone a bit of background, you did an article with Crystal Palace. Maybe if you can start as where your journey began with mental health and where you think things started to not feel quite right for you?
1: Um, yeah, I think that it was something that was always in the background of me as a person. I think that I'm a person that gets nervous quite a lot um, and realising that as a kid, you know, when you're nervous for a game, it's, is it realising the difference between, is it nerves or is it going a bit beyond your control now and, and things like that. And some of my behaviours from a kid I was always like, I want to make it, I want to make it pro, you know, like we had chats at Arsenal when I was a kid, From someone from England came in and said, you know, what you can and what you should be feeling your body with, and I came home and was like, mum and dad, I'm going to make it pro. Um, no, we'll not be eating any of that. Like, you know, my parents were getting takeaways and I was like, no, I'm going to cook myself dinner. And they're like, who's this 12-year-old that's in our house? <laughs> like, come on. So I think like, and I think there was little elements of it to me, though, I was even at that age putting on a little bit of pressure to myself and saying, This is what you need to do to be the best. And I was 12, you know, when it was 14, when I was 14, I went to America on a holiday, saw loads of girls playing football, saw the professional league there, and was like, Parents, I'm, I'm gonna go to America one day because I wanna play pro there. And I always think I've been always highly driven and stuff like that, but I think it got to a point where I didn't ever keep my expectations. in control or a bit realistic. And I still, to be honest with you, I still have that now. But the main turning point is I had a a panic attack, which I didn't know at the time was, when I was about 16 in my school, like, hall at lunchtime. I was speaking to a friend and I think I was under a lot of stress that week and something had happened and something in that conversation just kind of, like, flipped me like a switch and it wasn't a negative conversation or anything. And I, the room felt like it was getting smaller. I could hear everyone around me talking, but I couldn't focus on my friend. I couldn't really, I felt really dizzy chest was tight all those sort of things and then nothing happened for two years when you had that panic attack did you understand it was a panic attack
0: what was the reaction after or did it just pass and you carried on and nobody said anything
1: no i i just kind of tried to breathe it out i think i dropped a tear or two and was like well that was weird (laughs) what was that like ah, you know that was a weird dizzy spell or or like okay it didn't tell a soul because i didn't think anything of it and the panic attacks didn't happen for a while after that. And it's only with my experience recently that I've realised that was what that was. And what now I'm 27 and I was 15 or 16 at the time. So it's a long time to kind of connect the two. I remember having a similar feeling when I was 21, like a really bad panic attack. At the time it was over a breakup of a relationship. And that was the one of the worst ones I've had ever. And when I was 17 I got injured and couldn't finish the rest of my season made me very anxious and made me really down and unfortunately I got injured every year season ending injuries nothing too serious but mentally for me it it, they were the worst things in the world at the time and I didn't take them too well and then it progressed on to trying to walk through my bedroom by myself in in a host family in America and being frozen on the floor for could have been two hours of of a panic of a I just Froze. Nothing could happen. I was having a panic attack. I didn't tell anyone, and I got into the mentality of, okay, brush that off your shoulder. Go downstairs. That's happened. Put it, put it behind you. Not, guys. I don't know what's just happened. I don't feel well. It was a, it was a, kind of a keep it a secret thing, and and it's only recently that I've realised how dangerous that that can be for someone to do. And
0: there's so many things I want to pick up about what you just said, Emma, but I wondered if you could describe. A bit more if you feel okay to what it felt like for you when you did have the one where you, a big panic attack when you're 21 but also when you said you were I can just picture it like frozen on the floor in your bedroom can you describe maybe the that what was going on in your head some
1: more of the the feelings or the physical reactions in case anything yeah. relate at one point I was getting to having five or six a day and I think there's they come in different ways so I've had things where I'm at a restaurant and I can't choose what meal I'm going to pick off the menu, and that triggers me. And, and you know, them sort of ones. I've had ones, like you said, the one that I think was the one where I froze on my bedroom. I was just, I was walking to my bed feeling a little bit like emotional at the time. And then, yeah, I just, I did sort of just collapse to the floor. Um, and it was a thing of I couldn't move and I, I couldn't like even move my face, if that makes sense this is the drastic side of the, the one, I couldn't move my face, I couldn't breathe, I was getting really dizzy and I felt like I was going in and out of it and even my vision was going and, and at some points you're, it's almost like you're just trying to breathe through a straw, just your mouth, just your, you know, your nose is kind of, you pinch your nose, you're breathing through a straw, that sort of thing, like is there any air getting in and then you start panicking about that because your body starts panicking. That it's not getting the oxygen or the air that you normally would get, and you need it to survive, and it really goes into a a, a thing of I guess your body's thinking I'm not surviving here, and you just you just go with it, and um, and I couldn't move, I couldn't move at all, and and it was just I could like the the tears slowly rolling down the side. I can't move. I'm I'm stuck. And then to be honest with me, there was a massive emotional hit because you are so drained from that that then it's you know, it's the panic attack in, in the freeze. I don't know how long that was, to be honest. Like I said, I think I think a lot of time passed that I was there. And then more time passed because I was in a heap on the floor, sobbing. What was that? Okay, what should I do? Uh, no one in the world knows that I've even got mental health things. So I, I can't just text someone and say, by the way, I think this just happened. And it was just it was just awful. That was a really drastic one of mine. And then I'd, I wouldn't have, the five or six I had a day weren't the same as that. Some of them were smaller, some of them, but it's just a, it's a really draining and and a struggle. And uh, I started eventually developing a bit of a, like my my arm would start to twitch sometimes if I was in bed and I felt a bit nervous. And it sort of became like a, you know, there was real physical things that were happening. And then I started to think, okay, this is going to happen now. And I'm like shaking and I'm, my body's like really shaking. And then it was like, it was the same thing again. So there's so many signs that there are to look out for. The ones I'd say is dizziness short of breath tight feeling in your chest sometimes even your hearing i think can in my experience my hearing's kind of gone in and out and ultimately there's been panic attacks where I, i'm thinking this is it i am effectively going to die like this now you know it is that it's gone that far like the one where i couldn't move i'm thinking no one i haven't shouted anyone no one's here no one even knows this is this is it which is obviously really scary yeah and your your physical
0: Body is reacting as if there is something really wrong, and then that's obviously fuels it to your mind, and then vice versa. So, you know, it does. There's a lot of people that do get their message to their brain that this is seriously dangerous, and to the extreme where some people think they're having a heart attack and that yeah. they're going to die. And it just shows, like you said, that all panic attacks can be really different, even within one person, like yourself or other people can have different experiences of it. But it's your body. Reacting like you said, that it almost goes into fight and fight mode. Do you think there was a reason why you felt like you couldn't tell anybody? Was that just a, your natural way of being, or was it almost a conscious choice? Because you said, "Well, I, like, who can I tell? Because nobody knows that I've I've got mental health problems, or I've got a problem that I need to talk about."
1: Yeah, I think what had happened is case of probably denial in the beginning. There's nothing wrong with me. This is okay. This is this is minor. Uh, I don't feel happy. I haven't felt happy for like with the injuries. It, it was really, really dark places to be honest. And looking down on paper, I know you, you can't be told to how to react to an injury, but now in the game, uh, a lot of my teammates and stuff have gone through much worse injuries, you know, uh, ACL tears and stuff like that. I'd break my collarbone. It took a bit longer because it was hanging on a thread, <laughs> um, and unfortunately, not not operated on. So it was it was a messy a messy comeback, and I was out for three three four months. But the reactions in hindsight weren't that of... And I'm not saying you can and you can't get as, as down or, or anything about it. You can do that as you want. But they were, they were really severe. Do you think it's because you put so much
0: pressure on yourself about football that the injuries just gave you a message of this is everything I've set out to achieve and, and now look what's happening?
1: Yeah, definitely. When I was younger, I was trying to do everything by the book and... I moved to America at the age of 17 and that was sort of, it was the best decision ever. I don't think that's why this happened, but I think it made it easier for me to hide it because I'm away from my, my loved ones, I'm away from my family. Yes, I've, I've, I've made friends with the team and I went with two, two of my two friends and they bec- they've become, you know, best friends for life and everything like that. And I've, I've made really good connections out there, but it was a bit easier to, to wear that mask and hide it. And the pressure that I put on myself, and obviously when, you, when I was there, I was like, I've moved to America... I left Chelsea at the time and, and it was a big decision for me and I'd g- gone away from home and then when you can't play and you're thinking, yes I was there for the education but as a, as a naive teenager at the time I was like I am here because I've got that plan, right? I've got the plan to make it pro in America. And I had this catastrophizing way of thinking about things as well which is another thing that it, I've eventually managed to work out of. Um, but it was, it was the pressures I've put on myself, it was the pressures of this is new, this is happening, I haven't told anyone. There's no reason there was no reason for me to keep it a secret other than the things I'd created in my head not wanting to hurt those around me and not stuff like that so I had the pressure of that and also the added pressure of hiding I'd made it 10 times worse and then it almost
0: fueled the self-talk in your head that you just had to keep on hiding it had to keep on hiding it um you mentioned catastrophizing and said oh you you can deal you can work through that now can you describe to us some of the things that you used to say in catastrophizing and how you've worked through that. So it's also known as like
1: negative forecasting. Um, it's terrible to say, but I was like, you've come here for football and now what are you here for? And now you're useless to the team Like, has the team wasted a scholarship on you and you're letting, you're letting your parents down because you've, you've left them to play and everyone wants to see you do well. You want to do well. You're off track for this thing that you, have this master plan that you have. I felt so much guilt for being injured. I mean, I broke my collarbone. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't done something. It wasn't, you know, I broke my collarbone on the pitch doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It was an accident and it wasn't an injury that I don't think anyone brought on. <laughs> um, but you still felt guilty about it? Felt so guilty because, ah, like, I'm letting my team down. I'm letting myself down massively. I'm off track. I'm letting the coach down because he's brought me all the way to America to play. All this sort of stuff. And then, and then I felt useless because at that point, point in my life my whole purpose was football if I'm honest and I had a really unhealthy relationship with it uh, for years uh, like when we go five years later and I sign my first contract that that mindset of my purpose is football and this is the only thing I not the only thing I care about I care about my family and friends and stuff like that but the only career path that I I saw the only sort of thing that I felt that I was good at to be honest And I wouldn't even, if you said good, I wouldn't even say I I rated myself that much. I just felt I am better than your average person. That doesn't even play football, it wasn't. And it's what you'd set out since you were like 12. Yeah, which is, was only me setting out. My parents are so relaxed, you know. If I came home when I was 13 and said I don't want to play anymore, they would have supported me if I wanted to stop or not. So it was all internal. It was, I won't be worthy until I make it. Right. So then that's why all those negative messages came
0: because you put your worth on football so as soon as you couldn't do it through injury then that's why I suppose it makes sense you catastrophized it so what when you came back from America and did sign your first full-time contract and came back to England what happened was it just a continuation of hiding how you were, what was going on with you
1: yeah, and I think these sort of things started to slip in out of football as well. So I think some people probably would assume that okay, football and I got to that mindset. Football is what created this, you know, or she only gets this around football. But I was getting it around everything, relationships, some friendships, schoolwork, and and you know the degrees and and it it became you might say obsessive with becoming the best in everything I best version of me in everything I can. Um... So, what had happened is this has slipped into, I'd say, na- a natural way of thinking and acting for me. And I'd signed my contract and again, <laughs> naively thought, well, that's that. that's that done, all those expectations and everything. You so know, that with Reddin. <laughs> yeah, that, it was with yeah that was with Reddin in 2015.
0: So, was that almost yeah. like, did you see that as your answer then? Did you think that it would all go away? <laughs>
1: yes, that's what I mean. It was. Yeah, well, that's that's done. You've got your purpose now. You've got everything you wanted. And all these years of being whatever you've done to shape this, it's it's done. You've signed the paper. And that that is, it should be a really proud moment, you know?
0: Um, Was it?
1: Did you feel It was. I felt a buzz. uh, But as soon as that had happened, I remember signing it and then going out to training with them. Done. Because now, Amber, you're here. Like, it wasn't a case of, okay, and I, I... I know this is unrealistic to way I think, but some people might think it wasn't a case of, oh, I've made it, I've signed my pro contract, this is what I wanted. It was a case of, OK, I feel buzzing, wow, this actually happened, pen to paper now, I'm part of this club. OK, Amber, but you went out to training and you're kicking yourself because you're thinking that pass, that this, that this. And then it's like, Ah, OK, maybe not. Maybe all those worries and those feelings aren't gone. And I think it went up a level. So did it become more pressure then? Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I think that's the thing when you put on these high expectations of yourself and these sort of and I can feel it now to be honest, these sort of things of well when when you get there, Amber, this will all fade away. The the naivety behind that, the all the pressure's gonna go, like this is gonna fix you, if that makes sense. I was picking things throughout this journey that were gonna fix me. I've signed a pro contract, fixed, got no more worries. And then yeah, it became I did enjoy it. I became a little bit, or, or not became, sorry, I, I continued, if not worsened, to become the high pressures on myself and stuff like that. What I did wrong was think it's instantly going to happen. And it wasn't because I backed my own ability. It was more so, this isn't, is this not how it happens? The naivety of it sort of thing, the, the way, and, and I think I was, this is going to sound arrogant, but I was quite fortunate in the teams I would played in, I, I'd never sort of really sat on the bench. And I didn't know how to cope with that and deal with that. And I think that showed when I when I was eventually on the bench or or maybe some weeks, uh, or you're on the cusp of the squad, Amber. Like, you know, it's not... That not feel like a massive rejection to you then? Yeah, and it's the way that I processed it. Uh, the same sort of uh, feelings as maybe when I was injured and I can't play. You know, well, you're failing at this, you're failing at that, you're letting people down. It's strange, it was a surrounding pressure... That that I'd internally put on myself. So it wasn't pressures from the manager saying, Listen, you're not you're not training well enough, you're not up to it. It was a thing of conversations like, you're training well, you know, or or next week you're gonna start. It was stuff like that was still happening. But I'd put on this pressure from myself. I don't necessarily know now why. I think it was just the way that I'd I'd learnt to think and I just didn't take it very well it's interesting
0: listening to some of the points you made as well because I was going to pick up on something that sometimes when we're feeling like that and we are in like an anxious depressed state it's really hard to actually hear what somebody's saying to you So say if somebody did say to you are you playing really well you know you'll play next week you might hear yeah but I didn't play this week (laughs) you know and and so you don't hear the positive message you only hear the, the 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 negative side and if it is not because you're being negative it's just that When you're in that way of thinking, you only
1: hear the thing that reaffirms how you're feeling about yourself. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that's a lot of the work that I've done is zoning into the whole message rather than the bits that you negatively are picking up. And you do it without realising when you get to certain stages. I think people do that now without realising it might not be as dangerous as in the way I was. But these picking up on the negative things and and not even hearing the other things was starting to get to a point of, you know, unfortunately life or death at the end of the day, it, you know? And, and I think two extremes, it's not just, oh, that's made me feel a bit crap, I've picked up on the negative there, off I go. Like, oh yeah, that's, that's it, was, it was really taking, I was taking it to the extremes. So was there a point when you started to realise that, and I really
0: need to get help with this, or I need to talk to somebody, or was there a moment, or was some,
1: did something happen? Um, so, just quickly, when I was at Reddit and I it got really bad sometimes, and there was days where I couldn't get out of bed, except for those two hours of training. I was being physically ill before training. I would, we, we all shared a car, we, we had our cars, but we'd ch- chop and change who drives, and I would say, oh no, I'm not ready yet, like, I'll catch you there, or, you know, and then sit there on the edge of my bed, feeling sick, you know, back and forth from the bathroom, go just go like just go i have not missed one training session one day in all of these in all these years of times where now if you ask me would you change that i'd say yeah i'd say i'd i even if i had to at the time i'd say to ready i don't feel too well today i don't know maybe i've eaten something i don't in in hindsight to to go through what i did and to be having panic attacks whilst trying to run and play and and do our like mass runs and Stuff like that at at many clubs. That was Reading, Everton. I remember one where the coach is stopping the drill and I'm thinking, like, I'm literally there. I'm thinking, like, and I can't really speak. And I'm thinking, please just continue the drill. Like, I don't want to be asked a question. I don't want you coming over here. Like, so you can see my facial expressions, you know, like I'm sort of trying to turn away, but look like I'm listening. Because I also had this big battle of, because I hadn't shared with anyone, I had this big battle of, Coming across negatively, which again is something that I don't, I've had messages saying that nobody even picked up on an ounce of it, but I didn't want to come across negatively because I can see sometimes, I I thought I could see how if I'm, you know, choked up and stuff, they might see it as a weakness and they might see that it's because I have a bad attitude and I don't want to be there. Like it it was this whole thing, like we're talking about, that I'd amazingly mapped out and yeah, I remember, so I'm, I'm running and, and the 7v7 or whatever stopped and I'm like, uh, uh, like, you know, can barely breathe. Like, and people are like, oh, do you need your asthma pump? I'm like, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. But I'm, I'm not even looking at them. I've got tears rolling down my face. I'm just looking at my boots. Like, I can't really see because my eyes are all f- full. And, and then, yeah, okay. All right, then girls, start again. I'm thinking, thank, thank, like, thank God for that. Like, we're playing again. But it's like, you're going through a panic attack. Just raise your hand. like In hindsight, I could have just been like, oh, my hamstring, gone off, regathered myself, gone back on. And this this continued, I did that many, many of times. I did it at Everton, and it got to a point at Everton where I thought, I can't even hide this now. I fe- I honestly felt like I was going to faint in the session. Um, it's like it just w- these extremes you went to to try and hide it. Yeah, I know, it's it's shocking. I wouldn't want anyone to do that, which I think is another question in itself. In, in some of the recent work I've done through, it, it's effectively... It's harming. It's self-harming, just not in a physical way, uh, which is really sad to even say out. I think this is the first time I've probably shared that on, on something like this, but it really was. It I would, I would never let anyone go through that. And just because you're not harming yourself physically, it I would never think about treating another person the way that I treated myself. And what happened at Reading is I decided to call, call and get help uh, without telling anyone. I haven't told any of my friends, I haven't told any of my family, I haven't told any clubs. And and this is now 2015-16 season and, and I had my f- first real bad days in 2010. So I, I went to a counsellor and I think this is quite a lesson for people is I went to a counsellor but I didn't have the best experience if I'm honest and I came out of that. I couldn't drive, I went alone, um, I didn't tell anyone where I was going. I couldn't drive back because I couldn't see through my teary eyes I I really didn't feel good really didn't feel good Um, I did it twice and then I I decided you know that's not for me that didn't feel good I'm done with that and I didn't do it now that doesn't sound like a lesson but the way I turned my life around is by finding a counsellor that it worked with and and I I left it too long in that gap Um, I did find a counsellor about a year after but that counsellor has honestly changed my life and what was I, their
0: approach that was different and how did you feel different when you did speak to that counselor?
1: Well, oh, this is the thing. That count that counselor, looking back, was great. You know, he had his different ways and I really thank him for his work and time and I think at the, it was probably as well as as well as that, it was the first thing I'd gone into sharing with anyone. And I had some terrible drives on the way home thinking about some terrible things and and stuff like that, but and I think that some people out there might go to a counsellor and not have that an extreme reaction, but just think, well, that's not really done much for me. That's not that's not made me feel better as I instantly walk out the door. And I think the lesson there is that it takes time. Sometimes if you didn't, if you really, really didn't like one counselling experience, then maybe revisit. And I've learned that on my, because I, I did the level two counselling skills course, uh, hopefully in my journey to become a trained counsellor, I've learned that. There's definitely times and... And our training centre said that that it might not just it just might not click with a counsellor and a patient, whether that's from the counselor side, the patient side, it just might not click and it might not work. That doesn't mean counselling is not for you. That means, okay, be honest with yourself, be honest with them. This doesn't work. And and they've had as, as counsellors and as a centre, they've said they've had someone that says, This doesn't feel that great. I don't know if I'm and they they said, Okay, well, I've got a colleague, you can try with them. If that doesn't work, we'll put you in the right direction. And I think that was that's the lesson that I was sort of trying to get at here is when people say is not for me or something, it might be because of an experience, it might be because of stigma, it might be something, but I will continue forever, I'll continue forever to get help and, and see a counsellor. I think it's very important, even if you are feeling great, because I've had times where I'm feeling great, I've done that 12-week block, I'm feeling on top of the world. Cool. Counsellor, don't need you anymore. This was in my early days and I'm good to go, that journey's over. And it's not, it's not over. I think that people should have these just as the same as they have doctors.
0: Yeah, um, I agree with you. And I think yeah, the counsellor also, there's a misconception that you just sit there and talk. You don't, you actually learn how to cope with those overwhelming emotions and actually retrain your self-talk, your inner critic and, and your thinking. And also, it's really great that you just said that it, it, it doesn't just like click your fingers and you're fine counseling it's hard work and it's hard work when you've hidden it for a long time and you've hidden it almost with such a barrier especially the way you've been talking to us that I can imagine it was a lot of breaking that down before you even got to how you were actually feeling and when you access those emotions it's painful so it's not going to feel nice to start with would, would you
1: agree with that was that the same for you yeah like it doesn't yeah, necessarily def- feel amazing to start with does not it does not feel amazing but it's because of you want to be better on the other side of that moment there so yes if a counselling session is not feeling good and it does hurt and it's a lot of sharing and it's draining you know i've come out from counselling sessions and thought jeez i need a nap <laughs> but it's not a case of well was that worth it i don't feel good instantly now it's a case of remember what the process is it's not a quick turnaround it's not a quick journey it can be helped in multiple ways, like I've said plenty of times, I could have made mine a little bit shorter and I'm still on that, I'm still in this, you know, some people probably see it as ah, oh, she's completely healed and stuff like that, and even if I do feel on top of the world, it's I'm not going to stop working on it, um, so just like anything, it's not the instant, you're not doing it for the instant, uh, you're doing it for a rele- like there can be instant releases, but it's something that you need to continue to work through, and I think that that's, that's that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and if you think about it, it makes complete logical sense because for so long you've behaved in a certain way and felt a certain way. So then, you know, you need a length of time to be able to work through that because you're so used to not sharing, you're so used to hiding things, you're so used to, like you said earlier, it being your normal. So then yeah. you have to almost retrain what your normal is and what your boundaries are and what you expect for yourself. So I'm going to just take, take you back a moment to when you did join Everton was there like was there anything like did you start did you share with any friends or family at that time
1: um I you're smiling little, I am smiling because I'm thinking uh I'm just thinking of it, to be honest I'm smiling in, in the sense of the turnaround but it's it's in reflection as well of I've told you all these things were going on and when you hear it from someone else did you share did you tell anyone did you finally tell someone come on and it's uh it's a bit Kind of, it gives me that emotion of like, oh, yeah, what were you thinking? Which isn't funny, like it isn't, but I'm more smiling now in, in the, when you hear it from someone else, because all this time obviously I didn't share it with anyone, didn't hear it back from someone else, it's a, it's, it is a bit of a relief of how, how where I'm at now. So the, the thing that changed my life again with another one is, uh, and this time in a positive way, is I've I become a, an ambassador for a charity the guy, I'm laughing because he's a really good friend of mine now, and he just said, Oh, yeah, I think your story's really interesting and all this sort of stuff. And we started talking a little bit, and he said, Right, I'm going to come to your Reading game. So I was like, Perfect, yeah, cool, I'll meet you there. See you after. And, and he'd sent me, you know, like the starter pack for what it means to be an ambassador. And I'd spoken to him about Reading and playing time, and, and I think I'd opened up to him about, Yeah, I feel a bit. Stress with it and I feel like I've sort of failed. And he was like, What? Um, and he's a strength coach and he's worked in uh, elite rugby quite a lot as well, the guy that runs the charity. So he he sort of spoke, sat down and was like, Right, I think you're being a bit harsh on yourself here, aren't you? And all this sort of stuff. And because of that, that conversation led into yeah, I know, but I think I do take it a bit too serious, and 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 I never I didn't say this, 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 and this and this, you know, and this is now I think 2016 or 17. i had said to him, Oh, just to let you know, on an email, I said, just to let you know. I'm weighing up the decisions of where to play next and and i really wondered if i could talk to you about it and this is someone that's come into my life in a short time you know i said right i think i need to take the everton option and he was like okay and i was like i feel like i really need a fresh start as well because last year i, I didn't really feel great i didn't say felt my mental health wasn't great because i didn't even put it to that but i said yeah i felt quite anxious and and down quite a bit and he was like okay and then he tried to probe, and I was like, no, oh, that's fine. Anyway, I'm going off to Everton, and then he says, okay, stay in contact, we're working together and all that sort of stuff. And then once I came down, I said, yeah, I don't know how good it's going, I, uh, these sort of things. He said, I had no idea you dealt with that last year. Like, you, you, you should have told someone, or, or at least opened up, but I'm going to send you these things. Why don't you just have a read, read of them? Like when, and I was at the train station at this point, going back up to, to Everton, and I would got a message from him saying, I've just sent you some emails, why don't you read them, kid? I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, cool, like i finally sort of told someone all this sort of stuff, and um, I um, was reading these things on the train as well because I, I wasn't sure what they were going to be. I just thought it would be some some tips and stuff like that. And these, it was a blog. It was online. They are they really just hit so many chords with me, and and I really was like in tears reading about this guy's story. And I'm thinking, cool, Tim sent me this guy's story, and cool, this is really deep, but I can actually relate to a lot of it. Wait, why am I getting... I'm getting upset over someone else's story, but I'm living a similar one. And I always think, this person's amazing for putting it out there, and then I went to the fourth... because it was four kind of blogs, and all of it seemed anonymous at first, but then it was like, yeah, this is my story, da da da." and I scrolled down, and it was a a picture of the physical hospital slip when this person had, I guess, some of their worst days, and it was actually my friend's name. And... That hit me like nothing I'd sort of felt before. The, I guess the connection that I'd had and and the help that he had done, and yes, he'd put it online. But I, I from my experience, it's a bit different sharing it with people that you know because you it, it's a bit more personal. Um, and uh, that that was definitely the biggest turning point because I was like reading it like this person's incredible. They've put it in words. They're they're they've actually shared and and they're now in a better place and then when it was my and I say now he's one of my best friends when it was here my even now I'm getting emotional about it 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 just sort of brought it all back to reality of wow what you're going through is serious. You are however many days away from what's happening in this blog or or not maybe not days, years, whoever knows, but if you don't do something now, then this is gonna end really badly. And I think I text him straight away being like, oh my, like, wow, I'm on the train, this is amazing, I can't believe Like, But I still didn't know him as I do now. <laughs> you know, I would have called him and been like, "You." <laughs> um, so I was still trying to remain that professional sort of ambassador for his charity sort of thing. Um, and I went back up and I thought, no, 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 this is... And it just, that moment has never left me because it was, I'd say, one of the biggest turning points in realising that I am going through something extremely serious, um, extremely serious, and it was a point of this person shared, and and clearly I know them now. This blog, from the de- like, it wasn't, I wasn't speaking to the same, him in the same mindset. I've seen him as someone really strong, positive, all this sort of stuff. But he's he's gone through that. Maybe I can do that. And when I went to Everton, I then went back to the doctors, which I'd been avoiding, and I got the help that I needed. And it is only because I read that. That article and that turning point in my life is the exact reason now why I am trying to help people out there and done the article with Palace and done the interview and um open to speaking to people about it and all that sort of stuff because it genuinely saved my life. So what would you say to somebody, Amber, that had that mindset of you where you felt like
0: maybe you were a burden and you didn't want to tell people because you were worried about being a burden to somebody or thought that it might make you look like you were weak?
1: Uh, I would say that... The moments that you're thinking, I don't want to be a burden, and I was thinking, I don't want to be a burden to my family, I don't want to put them under the stress, I don't want to put them under the worry. I was at a serious point of, the worry that they would have experienced from nothing, and after I shared, is absolutely nothing to the worry and the things they would have gone through if I didn't share. So you can say you don't want to be a burden, you don't want to make them worry, you don't want to do that, but at the end of the day, if I didn't, I think... I say we, yeah, me included, and then would all be in a complete, completely worse situation. And that's the truth of it. That's the honest brutality of it is I spent so many years not wanting to burden people around me, but I was effectively wasting my own resources and effectively, I guess, putting myself in an early grave, if if I'm honest, which is quite, again, shocking and r- and real to say. But by trying to protect those around you, you are sort of forgetting about yourself. Now, if my friend calls me with, I, I say this to my friends, someone will call me with a problem or, or get upset about something that some people will say is small. I don't think there's any small or big things to get upset about. I think if you're upset about something, you, you're, you're allowed. And I've had friends call me with serious things and I'm like... And they apologise at the end. I do the same. I can't help it. I apologise. I got into the way of thinking of, sorry, I'm upset. Sorry, I'm upset. And my friend said, I'm really sorry. And I said to them, listen, if you called me because you had just buttered your toast and you dropped it and it landed buttered down and you know toast was done for the day and you called me crying you would not be a burden you know if you're calling me about something serious you've I don't know you've lost your job you're not a burden no one's ever a burden to me if they're sharing my feelings with me but why did I think I was a massive burden and I think it was because it was a serious thing but if someone came to me with this I'd never in a million years have an inkling of oh or anything like that, or a burden, you know, it's, it's it's a really unhealthy way of thinking, and I was doing it to protect those around me, but when you do so much, and like we've discussed the extremes of protecting those around me, I completely forgot about myself, I I wasn't even, I wouldn't even say I was living, people can talk about suicide and things like that, and, and they're obviously terrible, and let's say fortunately I didn't go that path, or or this hasn't done that to me, but I wasn't living... Properly at all, for years, um, it would be the two hours a day that I'd see people that I'd put this mask on, and behind the mask, I might as well have, you know, it was really bad and, and stuff like that. So, it's the get the it's the stigma as well. I never believed in the stigma. However, I allowed it to affect me, telling clubs I was at, and becoming, I guess, a victim. Let's say I, I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want to become a victim of the stigma. Well, I was a victim of the stigma because I allowed the stigma to, allowed me to keep it as a secret in order to avoid it. So there's no, there's no way around it. And honestly, I genuinely think the only way around it was sharing and educating people. And, and if, you know, someone doesn't have this or hasn't had this at all, then these sort of stories and shares can still kind of enlighten them to what some people might be going through when they're not knowing, if that makes sense. And we all have emotions and mental health. So Amber, how old are you? Do you mind me asking? How old you know? No, not
0: till 27. Right. So just so you know, you're doing amazing, and you're only 27. <laughs> Some people spend so much longer in this time. I mean, I didn't access. I'm I'm 37 now, and I didn't start to get any help until I was probably 32, 33. So well done. I wanted Thank to you. say I knew you were 27, but I wanted you to say it because <laughs> you 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 haven't been in it for so long i know it probably feels like it but you have done so well to be able to reach out and to be able to go through that process and also the fact that you've done your level two counseling as well so before we finish um have you got any coping mechanisms or things that you do to help people right now that are feeling like you have in the past and sometimes still do feel
1: yeah i So I worked a lot with gratitude because, like I said, I was catastrophising and getting into that mindset of focusing on the negatives. And it is tough. It was. When I was at Everton, when I was at one of my worst, it was a case of I would focus and I'd write them down physically. I'd I'd write down three things that day. Um, It was supposed to be three things you're grateful for or three things that you've enjoyed that day. And, I mean, I was living down, you know. My thing of enjoying was eating a mini-egg. You know, like that was, and I mean, I love them. I'd probably write it down now, but I would really, really struggle to find three things that I'd enjoyed and and liked that day. And I'd mix them with things I liked and things that I thought I, I enjoyed. And doing that before bed every day, even if they were the same as the last day, but they were true, that was ending on a positive note. And I would try and fall asleep thinking of those things. It wasn't just write them down, close your book, go to bed, start thinking about everything else again. It was, uh, it was that, and then the other thing of the gratitude, I think now I live my life, I, I try and live my life to the to the best I can, and that's not being the best me, that's, you know, enjoying things, enjoying the moment, and there's the one that a lot of people do about gratitude in the morning when you when you get up from the bed and you, you put your feet on the ground. I, I'd say to myself, you know, thanks for another day. I'm up, I've got my feet on the ground, I'm grounded, I'm here, like this is real, and thank you that I've... You know, I'm living another day and stuff like that. And i start doing that a little bit more and even just slipping them into my routines. But I worked a lot with CBT and with my counsellor on mindfulness, which has changed my life. So I had to try and focus and bring everything in. So even things like I was painting my nails or doing something like that with music on and trying to think you're painting your nail, you're painting your nail, you like this song, you know or the lyrics of the song, rather than, because I got into a massive point of this whole autopilot things, doing things every day just to do them, and it was painting the nail, it was taking some time to stretch, and, and just sort of go on walks, and all about kind of being in that moment rather than always thinking everything. The best book I've read with that is The Guide to Mindfulness for the Frazzled Mind by Ruby Wax. That book sums up everything that I try to do, and and it worked. It worked for me. And and again, I'm saying this: different things work for different people. But it was about for me changing that mindset, being thankful, um, even on days where I thought, "Oh, God, when is this going to end?" To be honest with you, it was. Um, These three things were good today. We go again tomorrow. We find we do three more things that you like, and focusing on that sort of stuff, talking to people and being kind to yourself, which I think clearly I found very difficult. And it was. It was. It was, I started to isolate myself, like I said, not getting in the car with my teammates, but it was a thing of just put yourself out there. Like, if they are going for food, Amber, don't avoid go. You know, because I started getting to get into that and and be there and don't think about, try not to think about anything else. And just the mindfulness and and getting into routines and things like that was what what i suggest. And the support that I've got, and I hope that it shows people uh, that it is okay to share. I mean, I've been really overwhelmed with the positive messages, with the thank you messages. I mean, I don't. <laughs> I won't take them as a thank you. You have nothing to thank me for. But hopefully this can help people. They've said they've shared it with someone at work because they're not feeling great. And and uh, I know I'm starting to reflect now after reading yours where I am at. And, and I really hope, and that's the whole message, that this sort of journey is about. And I'm actually thankful that I had that journey. People say, would you change it? I'd speak to somebody a bit sooner. But because I didn't speak to somebody sooner, I feel now a little bit more equipped to understand why people won't share and to try and help people too and trying to use my own experiences to do the best i can with it well i'm going to say thank you
0: because you are doing something you're sharing you're opening yourself up and you're telling your story which i know will help so many people so thanks for sharing amber we really massively appreciate it um can you give us your socials if anybody wants to contact you and drop you a note
1: yes of course um on twitter my handle is at ak Stubbs and on instagram it is at amber Stobs, hopefully that would work and then if not i guess they can find me through through palace or or something like that and and uh hopefully this this does something for someone it will
0: thank you thanks for your time amber i hope you all found it helpful and really love listening to amber's story because it was really powerful and definitely takes you on a journey thanks so much for listening don't forget if you are struggling and you can relate to what amber was talking talking about you can reach out, you can call 111, that's the NHS line it's open 24 hours a day 7 days a week, that's obviously in England you can also contact the Samaritans 116 123 if you don't feel like you can pick up the phone, you can also text SHOUT, so all you need to do is text someone 85258 and just drop them a text message and they're open 24 7 as well, thanks Amber thanks for listening, no
1: problem